Hey everybody, this is Chelsea Schaefer and Caitlin Dustoff, and this is The Score, the official podcast of the sport of team roping. This is the Team Roping Journal's semi-weekly podcast, highlighting the team roping industry's top talents and influencers through stories that inspire and connect ropers. We sit down with ropers from the professional ranks, as well as industry icons and producers to delve into topics that make the team roping world tick. This is season two. It will feature even deeper interviews, storytelling, and issue-based coverage, and we are so excited you're here. This episode is brought to you by the Walt Woodard Ropers Collection by Metalab. We'll tell you about it later in the episode. One thing I kept thinking while recording this interview, have we taken the greatness of Walt Woodard for granted all these years? Now, the two-time world champion has made some 15 consecutive NFR appearances between 1976 and 1990, and he won a world title in 1981, then again at the age of 52 in 2007. He's had 20 NFR appearances total. He spent decades sharing his mastery of the game with students across the country and beyond, and he's made some of the greatest, yet lesser-known horses in the history of the sport. Last year with Matt Sherwood, he set the arena record at Rodeo Houston en route to a win there, and this year he set the arena record at La Fiesta de los Vaqueros in Tucson's second round. With Brooks Tahosi this year, he just won the California Rodeo Salinas, one of the sport's most cowboy setups in Walt's home state of California. But Woodard is quiet. He doesn't seek the spotlight now at 63. Though he's never turned me down for an interview, he's never sought one out either. That's one of the attributes that makes a conversation like this so valuable to me. Throughout this interview, it felt like while Walt was being candid, each word was carefully curated by a man so skilled at his craft that even a short conversation just about healing steers must be taken with the utmost attention to detail. Now, I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening to this interview with two-time gold buckleist and a $1.5 million healer, Walt Woodard. Wait, before we get into the interview, I've got to tell you something else that I forgot when I was recording the original intro. Guys, we are giving away a win-a-day clinic with Walt Woodard at your home arena or a suitable local facility if you don't have steers and roping arena at your place, but... All you have to do is go to teamropingjournal.com and fill out the entry form, complete a short essay talking about why you and your friends, 10 of your friends, guys, that means you get to be the cool kid that has all the people over for Walt Woodard to come and teach you guys how to rope a little bit better at your place. You just have to go teamropingjournal.com. You will see all kinds of banner ads that tell you to go there, and you will fill out a form. You will submit an essay. We will sort through your essays. We will pick our favorites with Walt's help. And then, then if you make the top 10, you submit a video, and Walt gets to pick through all the videos who he wants to come help. We're going to come out there. We're going to bring you guys all kinds of goodies from MetaLab, from Walt's Bitline. And we will be there. We will be videoing it, creating training tips with Walt, with your crew. And we cannot wait to have you all send in your essays, send in your videos, and be part of the Walt Woodard win a day. Remember, we are bringing Walt Woodard to your place so that you guys can get a whole day worth of amazing roping tips, amazing insights from a legend. So enjoy the interview. And then when you're done, go to teamropingjournal.com and sign up. 
Good morning. Yes. <laughs> and absolutely, we are at the Cheyenne Frontier Days while we're recording this, so it's kind of an exciting setting. How many times, how long has your pro rodeo career gone? How, how many years are you into this? I got in in 1976. I was a, I was a rookie and. I was a rookie in 70, either 75 or 76. Who was your first partner? Uh, Bob McClellan. Bob McClellan. What yep. did you learn that rookie year? Uh, that I had arrived a little early. Yeah. <laughs> These guys were really good. <laughs> so I should have, uh, I sh- I, you know, I mean, I, I should have went to college. I should have college rodeoed. I should have amateur rodeoed more. You know, I was just in such a hurry to get into pro rodeo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I tell guys that, young guys that, you know, and they say, oh, it worked out good for you. But, I mean, you make a lot of mistakes along the way, and you could win and get your confidence really good, get an education, and then, you know, get in here when you're about 24, 25, mm-hmm. and then you're, you're ready. I mean, these guys are grown men. They're, they're serious. Now, um, in 1976, when you started, the Camarillos were at the top of their game, correct? Yes. Who else, who else are the, some of the guys that maybe don't get the credit from back then? Uh, you know, Al Hooper was a little bit before that, but he was a world champion, and he wore a white shirt and drove a Cadillac and, you know, wore press clothes, mm-hmm. and his horses looked amazing, mm-hmm. and he was a very professional guy. Ted Ashworth was always also a world champion, and, you know, he was he was always he, he was a really a guy that had broken down team roping and understood the mechanics, and I, I was always attracted to him as well but you know Les Hurdy's good head amazing and th- those guys were those guys were great who did you model your style off of uh, Leo Camarillo was the first guy that I ever seen that could rope 10 steers in a row by both feet I him and his brother I always say Leo Leo and Gerald <laughs> Gerald was a 1969 world champion as well you know I mean uh, so uh, he could do it he could do it too but those guys had timing they had horsemanship you know their father was a good horseman they had the horses in bridles you know and and, and those guys were they were kind enough to let me hang around them and practice with them and travel with them and, and I learned a great deal from them. Now, um, t- speaking about bridles, a horsemanship is a huge part of what you do. Tell me how your horsemanship has evolved since, you know, in the last 30, 40 years. Well, I, I was raised by great horsemen. My, my father and my grandfather both were, were really great horsemen. And, uh, you know, I, I understood the importance of, you know, having a horse broke and having him in a bridle and, you know, being able to move him off your legs and having him broke in the pole and not quartering when you dally and those kind of things. You know, and my dad was a, you know, you, you can't talk to people anymore, you know, like I was talked to when I was a kid. <laughs> but I, I, the way that my dad talked to me was based on truth and and. and, and and reality, because if I ever took a bad shot when I was a kid, if I ever threw out a position, he would say, get off your horse and go in the house with your mother. And I would say, why? And he said, because she can't ride very well either. And then he would back it up with this. He would say, if you can't eliminate position as a reason why you miss, how can we address any other thing, any other topic? How can we talk about the swing? How can we talk about your delivery? If you can't ride your horse in position and stay in position for a series of swings. Well, there's a better way to say that other than insulting my mother, you know, yeah. but I, I was attracted to the way that my dad talked to me because he wasn't being mean. Don't get your feelings hurt. That's true. If you can't get in position, how are you going to work on anything else? So I was really trained by a guy that was a disciplinarian about taking a good shot, you know, a high percentage shot. You could go through a checklist of what a broke horse is. You said broke. You kind of right. kind of rattled a few things off. What is a broke horse to you? You know, a broke horse to me is something that you, you know, I did a thing the other day. I was talking to a person about horsemanship, 
and they was talking about the fact that this is such a nice horse and my son and I broke this horse but really you could you could be a dude and not hardly know much about horsemanship if you followed three simple rules one is don't rope too many in a row on your horse don't rope on him when he's too young and don't rope fast cattle I mean, those are simple things. You know, Ray Hunt was a master horseman, and he said something that I always loved. He said, I, I, my, my dad was an advocate of this as well, ride your horse every day. Ride him every day. Catch him every day. Get on him. Ride him down the road. Do something with your horse. But Ray Hunt said that there's only three days a month that a horse retains knowledge. There's only three days that you can teach a horse something every month. But he said you have to ride him the other 28 days so you don't miss those three. And that's just that's just an amazing thing to say. <laughs> Ray Hunt is yeah. so profound. <laughs> Meaning if you ride him for 31 days, you can train him. Yeah. You know, so that's something that, that we do. But getting a horse calm where he's not charging, he's not pulling on you, he's not running off going down the arena. You know, he likes his job. He's doing his job out of desire and not fear. I, I think that to me is a is a pretty good way to describe a horse. Yeah. Now we're talking we're standing next to Blueberry. Yes, that's him. Tell me about his progression. What did his training process look like? Without I mean, I don't want to make you give away your secrets. No, but. there's no secret. Tra- Travis uh, Travis Woodard, my son, is a really a good a, a, a great horseman. He, he, he's really good about getting a horse in the bridle and you know and, and get him to where he's broken the pole and submissive and quiet and knowing his leads and 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 having a great foundation with that. You know, he went to California and he rode with Corey Cushing, who's this you know, you know, he's the he's the Trevor, Bra- yeah, he's the yeah. Trevor Brazil of our of, of his world. You know, and then he mixed the things in that my father and my grandfather taught us. I mean, Travis Woodard is a far superior horseman to me. But then I'm really good at the monotonous day after day after day stuff. Getting on the horse and roping the sled and roping the donkey and roping the track steers. I'm really good at that. You know, I, I like that. I, I can go out there to the end of the arena and I can lead steer on my colts for a couple hours and it's just following a steer that trots around. And I, I, I'm really good at that. I, 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 li- I like doing that. Mm-hmm. So I think that with Travis's background on these horses and then my day after day after day stuff, I think that's a great combination. Yeah. Now, how old was Blueberry when you guys started with live cattle? Uh, oh, I mean, we put the halter on him the very first time. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was probably, uh, you know, three right. and a half years old, and that's when we started messing with him. Gotcha. So, at three, you guys started. Tell me about that process. Well, I mean, we start messing with them when they're little. We, we, we actually start when they're, you know, yearlings and, you know, 15 months old. It just, they're so much easier to make submissive. You know, we hobble them and we, you know, tie a hind leg up. And I mean, in sand where they're not, you know, they're not falling down and they're not throwing themselves down. They're just learning to give to the pressure and brushing them and loving on them and clipping them and, you know, just catching them every day, even when, even before you start to saddle them, you know, and then saddling them, and you know, and bitting them up in the pen, and getting them to be submissive, and broken the pole, and you know, all that stuff is a very mm-hmm. slow, monotonous thing, just day after day after day. 
I, I think that's one of the reasons why there's not a lot of great horses available because it's so time consuming. And then the finished product for a long time wasn't worth selling. Yeah. You know, like I turned down 150000 for this horse. And if, if you actually added up the time that Travis and I spent on him, it would be about 50 cents an hour. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We would lose money yeah. if you sold him for that number. So, But if you're serious about competing, which I think any number roper should be serious anymore, because you can win $180,000 a man at Las Vegas at the World Series Finals. So it doesn't matter if you're a 3 or a 4 or a 10. A great horse is going to help you, you know, win and reach your goals. And, you know, I've heard for years great horses have quirks. Or Does he have any quirks? I mean, and he's he, so gentle. He, he really doesn't. I mean, we've uh, we've lived with him so much. He, Him and I have a problem that we both really like to eat. He he <laughs> loves to eat. So I have to try to monitor how much he eats. Uh, but, you know, and I love him and I like feeding him and I like to eat. And so it's hard for me to say, oh, you can't eat. And I'm going to go have, you know, dinner at 9 o'clock with bread and butter. So, you know, that's the only thing that he does. He's super gentle. He's... He's really a, an alpha male. He doesn't do... Mm-hmm. You cannot put him with any other horse. He's he's a boss. Mm-hmm. He's really good at being alone. You know, I can put my hot wire pen up anywhere in the world by himself, and he's fine. Hmm. Now, your bit line, let's talk about how that complements your horse program. You have a line of bits that you came out with. Did it yes. launch in January? Yes, mm-hmm. it did. I, I, from doing all the roping schools... I found out, and I took this for granted because I knew what a ring snaffle was, and I knew what a D-ring snaffle was, I knew what an O-ring snaffle was, and I knew why you put it on a horse and what age to put it on, and I knew a snaffle bit with a six-inch shank went on a three-year-old or a two-year-old that you just took out of a D-ring or an O-ring, and then you progress to a seven-inch shank, you know, and I and I understand the difference in the chin straps, so where you use a single chain, a double-chain chin strap on a young horse, but when I started, to, and then and then the progression goes on from there. You know, then a three-piece snaffle with an eight-inch shank, and then a snaffle bit with an eight-inch shank with three different types of diameters depending on the, the, the age of the horse. And when I first started putting roping schools on, you know, and then, I, I'm sorry, I, you just keep moving up because mm-hmm. then you go to a, to a bit that has a port in it, you know, a smaller port, and then finally a higher port, which most people call a correction bit, which I don't like the name correction bit. I think that's a marketing ploy mm-hmm. because if you told somebody, oh, you need a correction bit on your horse. And the guy would say, well, is he cheating or running off? Doesn't matter. This fixes everything. It's a correction bit. It corrects all things that are uh-huh. wrong. So that's what I tried not to do with my line. I tried to call it a, a smooth one by one. So it's one inch high and one inch wide. And then a smooth one by two and a twisted wire one by two. And then what I wanted to do, and I could do it at the roping schools. I could, I could educate the people at the schools and I could explain the progression but you can't do that once you leave the roping school. So what I tried to offer at, at, at with my line is you can scan the code on all of my bits, Auto Western Store, and I will come on your phone and I will talk to you about the bit that you have in your hand and I'll explain to you what it is. So a huge education component. I, I want to offer that service because, I mean, you know, at the roping schools, for instance, and I know because it's a sampling at the roping school, you will ask a guy, why do you ride that bit on your horse? Well, that's the bit that I used 
on my old horse. How old was he? He was 21 and he wanted to run off. How old is this one? He's five and real submissive. <laughs> That's not right. Yeah. That's not right. Uh-huh. But the guy is doing that because he hasn't been educated. Mm-hmm. He, he's a professional welder or a plumber or a carpenter or he has a business. You know. Oh, he's not a. Oh, he's just a dummy. He's not a dummy. Mm-hmm. He's not a dummy. He just. It's like when I go fly fishing. I. I. I don't know. I don't know anything about fly fishing, so I need to be educated. Yeah. This episode of The Score is sponsored by the Walt Woodard Ropers Collection by Metalab. It's a comprehensive system of bits that are tailored to fit each horse's age and temperament at each level of his development. From O-ring and D-ring snaffles for novice horses to shank snaffles and correction bits for those with more experience, the Ropers Collection will efficiently move a horse through training from beginner to polished competitor. You can learn more about the Walt Woodard Ropers Collection at www.partrade.com. That's P-A-R-T-R-A-D-E dot com. What have you learned teaching the roping schools over the years? That if someone is not, basically, if someone is not getting it, you're not saying it the right way. You, mm-hmm. you got to say it a different way. We, we all learn differently. And so if you just come at him or her a, a different way, say it another way. Say the same thing another direction, you know. Because if, if I'm taking a snow skiing lesson and I'm not doing what you say, you're not saying it right because <laughs> I'm a smart guy. And if you would say it the right way, I would get it. So that's what I, I've tried to do at the schools is just try to say it a different way and try to be a little more understanding with people. Have you seen any changes or big picture trends emerging through your schools do you ever see any anything about the roping industry changing over the years as you've taught your schools oh i think these guys are i mean it's amazing how good people rope i mean i hear about kids that are 16 years old that are nines and the 17 year old that are tens and i mean it's just incredible how good people rope but i think with with more money with bigger prize money, you, you comes a better quality of athlete, a, 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 you know, a, a better horse. You know, they're they're bringing better horses into this world, and and you know, in the old days, they'd say, oh, if a horse is not very athletic and he can't run very fast, heel on him. That's a joke anymore. Yeah. I mean, these horses have got to be able to fly. I mean, they got a healing bear almost everywhere you go, and you can't overhaze the steer. And guys can reach, and you got to be able to get down the arena. It's, I mean, it's just the the talent of people is amazing anymore. And it's not, it's not, it's not from my roping schools. It's being able to turn the computer on, and you can take a free lesson yeah. that some guy's posting. I look at it. I look at Facebook. Uh-huh. It's so interesting what guys are putting on there. Yeah. Free, wonderful information. Uh huh. Now, all these years you've roped with Clay Cooper. You rope with the best guys in the world. Do you ever get to pick other people's brains? Do you want to pick? Uh, No, uh, no. You have to be careful a little bit about that because a lot of times people... You know, oh, I'm going to heal like Jade Corkill, or I'm going to heal like Junior, or I'm going to heal like Colin Von Ahn, or I'm going to heal. You know, I mean, and you, you mm-hmm. can't you can't do that. Yeah. You you got this far because you have a lot of ability. You might get a little bit wider like Corkill. You might put a little more swing on your speed on your swing like like Jake Long. You know, I mean, you can take a little mm-hmm. something, but I mean, those guys all are amazing ropers, and they don't win just by luck. I mean, there's a reason. There's something that makes them win. Mm-hmm. So you can rob a little something from every person. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you had said to me, you said a little bit earlier that you crave it still. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. Tell me about that. I don't, Where does I don't, it come I from? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I, I do know. I, I, 
I have to have something that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. I've got to have a goal. I've got to have something that drives me on a reason that I get up in the morning. I've always done that. I've always had that. And I'm not saying that, you know, oh, I'm better than anybody else because I have that. That does I don't. I, I, but I, I absolutely want to be the oldest guy that's ever made the NFR on the team rope. And I, I just I want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to see if I could do it at 50, and that, that turned out great. And now I want to see if I can do it at, at 63 and 64 years old, you know. Right now, I got $16,500 won. I'm not in the top 50, but I'm 20000 behind 15th. I can see the guy. Yeah. And I just cannot believe that I can't catch him, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's something that I, that I, I, I just really need... I heard a thing one time that, that a lot of the guys that went to the moon really had trouble when they came back to Earth and, and just became a, a, a regular guy because you've already been to the moon. I mean, if you, if you were married to the guy and you said, let's go on vacation, and he would say, where? Yeah. I've been to the moon. I, matter of fact, I left a car at the moon. Yeah. It's still parked up there. <laughs> you know, where could I go on Earth that would be exciting to me? So I understood why those guys had some trouble, you know, mm-hmm. uh, adjusting to, to regular life. And I, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm a little bit like that. Roping against these guys is just, I, I love roping against them. They're, these guys are quality guys. They're funny. They like to laugh. They're talented. They have great horses. They're dead serious. I, I just love being around them and love roping against them. And Brooks Tahozi? He's a, a super talented guy. I'm tickled to death to be able to rope with him. He's he's got big offense. We we were we almost was high team back at Reno. We were 10-6 on two. He barely broke the barrier. We placed on our second one. We went second at Cody, the toughest, biggest one header yeah. of the year. And then all of a sudden we can't win nothing. So <laughs> so I mean we just feel like we're so close to winning, mm-hmm. you know, and we have the ability to win and we work on it, we practice, and I, I have a tremendous amount of confidence and faith in him. I love watching Brooks Rowe. I've been rooting for him for a long time. He's he's due. You guys are going to be due, I think. Good. I hope you're right. I know you're right. (laughs) Now, I I asked our folks on on social media, if they had one question for you, what would it be? And my favorite question that we got was from somebody that said how, you know, that they've been winning at the circuit rodeos. They needed your advice on how to step it up. You know, like, they can win it Steamboat Springs, but, you know, when it comes to Cody, Casper, Sheridan, you know, they can be fast everywhere at the, at the smaller stuff, but they seem to screw up at the bigger stuff. What advice do you well, have? Well, I, I think that people try to go too fast. I really do. I think everybody, all of us try to rope faster than we can rope, and I think you, your, run, your run at Steamboat Springs was good. It was good. Now you got to go to Cody and do the same run, but when you get to Cody and you walk around the parking lot and you see household names and guys that you recognize on television, you convince yourself that you're going to have to be four flat, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't. You don't. You Whatever the steer that you got, you've got to rope that steer. I mean, I, I know that sounds simple, but I mean, if he runs, catching catching breeds confidence. It really does. But if you miss at Cody and then you miss at Red Lodge and then you miss at Livingston, you're used to missing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not used to hitting the ball. But if the steer that Cody, if all you could do is be 5'8 on it, then be 5'8, you know? And then if the steer runs at, at Red Lodge, be 5'2. But you didn't place it. And then all of a sudden, you get the loper at Livingston. Mm-hmm. And you're able to wipe him out, you know? So don't don't talk yourself into thinking that you got to be four flat every time. You don't. Is that where you and Brooks are right now? As far as you, I, I love roping with Brooks because he reaches and he can, he has a huge offense. And I'm more of a, I mean, Rich Skelton to me. You know, people say, oh, he's a conservative roper. 
well, the last time I checked, he's won eight world championships. Mm-hmm. They keep track on the number of world titles that you win. <laughs> he's won the most. Yeah. And the reason that he wins the most or has won the most is he doesn't hardly ever miss. He ropes both feet every single time. And I like that kind of roping. I, I don't like going to the end of it unless I absolutely have to and throwing right in the switch. I like catching both feet. So if I got a guy that's conservative and I'm conservative, we make some beautiful runs and we're 8.5 every time. <laughs> you know, I can't rope with somebody like me. No, I can't rope with a guy like that. I've got to rope with a guy that's got a big offense like Brooks does, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I can rope my style and, and I can rope both feet and catch. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, we're Cheyenne. It's funny you say that. The first um, I got hired at Spin to Win um, in 2011 and had never been to a major rodeo. And the first major rodeo I was at was the Cheyenne Frontier Days. And you won it with Jake Barnes. Um, this kind of setup, what does this kind of setup mean for you? A long score, super cowboy? You know, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I like. Just because it takes great horses. You know, this mm-hmm. your horse has to be fast. You have to score good here. <clears throat> if you come out early, the steer goes too far to the left. You can't win anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, I mean, I want to win it again. That was exciting to win Cheyenne, with, <laughs> especially with Jake Barnes. I mean, a legend like that guy. So. Yeah. You know, I would love to win it again, uh, but it's it's a very it's a challenging place here. If you don't have a great horse, you can't win here. Yeah, um, partner wise, what a, what partner over the years have you clicked with the most, and what was it about that partnership? Well, honestly. Some of the guys that I liked the most, I won the least with, you know. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times, I, I'm good about traveling by myself. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's important to getting along with guys because everybody has their own personality. You know, I told Brooks the other day, he says, I kind of feel bad that I'm not going with you a lot, you know. And I said, listen, I mean, you're 32 and I'm 80. You know, you can't <laughs> you can't hang around with me. You know, I, I you need to be with your friends and, mm-hmm. you know, do things that 30-year-old guys do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I go to bed at 9:30 and I'm boring. I, I read a book. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I have a boring life that I that I you know follow. But that's that's good for me. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the ways because every guy. I mean, Matt Sherwood was delightful to rope with. Clay Tryon was an amazing partner. Uh, Jake Barnes was fantastic to rope with. You know, all these guys were just were, were great. You know, yeah. they were really really were uh, great to be around. But. Uh, you know, sure. What I he liked to play gin. He thinks he's a good gin player, and he's and he's he's a, he's a decent gin player. But I, I think I enjoyed roping with Matt a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, now, over the years, how have you changed as far as your attitude about this sport? I mean, obviously, you're craving it just as much as you did when you were in your twenties, but. Uh, for me, the swing speed has changed just because the steers are smaller. They hit the ground faster. That's my least favorite kind of steers. I like older steers that hit the ground slower because my swing is a little slower. Mm-hmm. So I've went to a lighter rope. Uh, you know, I use the the NV uh, or the NXG uh, now because it's a little bit lighter mm-hmm. and I can I can swing it faster. It's not as hard on mm-hmm. me to swing. I mean, the the GT4 is an amazing rope. I I, I hated not I hated stop using the uh, rope mm-hmm. because I'd won a world title with it and not very long ago but it was just a little bit too heavy for my age and and so that's why I went to to a little bit lighter rope now you said at your age not me Right. What has your age changed about your game? Honestly, nothing. I don't feel any different. Mm-hmm. I swear I don't. I mean, and I'm not. I'm not kidding myself. But my family lived to be a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. They live forever. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, they just, uh, finally, they just get tired of living and just die, you know? I mean, they, they uh-huh. I, so I think that's something that I got going for me. I can drive all day long. I don't require very much sleep. You know, I don't get tired. Uh, I can practice all the time. I shoe my own horses. I, I think that's not, I mean, that, you know, and I eat terrible. You do. Oh, gosh, I eat terrible. My wife is on me all the time about what I eat. So Where's your favorite stop on the road? Oh, geez, I love Outback Steakhouse. Outback. I, oh, I'm a Texas Roadhouse. love, I know, but they got bread. <laughs> I, bread kills me. Bread and honey butter is a worse thing for a fat oh, guy in the God, world. Oh, my God, it's so good, though. <laughs> I know, it's so good. I agree. But you probably get, like, the blooming onion at Outback. I know, I know, I know. So, yeah, I, I'm a beef guy. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Um, before I forget to ask, I'm looking at Blueberry. Which bridle are you riding? I ride him in a smooth one-by-one. Out of my collection, it's called a smooth one by one. It's mm-hmm. a little square port, one inch high and one inch wide, because I don't want to touch the roof of his mouth. He doesn't need that. Mm-hmm. But uh, going at the speed that we go, you got to have some control. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And you like that much swivel in the cheek piece? I really do. Mm-hmm. I do. Just because they got, you know, I'm not a big fan of tipping their head in really inside going down the mm-hmm. arena because I think it encourages the horse to quarter when they stop. Mm-hmm. So I'll tip his head just a little bit, but I, I, I got to have it broken in the cheeks and broken in the side. And then, too, I like this the sleeve in there so it doesn't mm-hmm. ever pinch their face. And the brokenness, that gives you rib control, shoulder control. Yeah, yeah, you can mm-hmm. pick them up. You can put them in your hand and, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, I had a great guy that worked for me. His name was Darren Brandenburg. He was one of the best horsemen that I've ever been around. And he used to say, if a horse is strong in the bridle, he's not broken the body. So, so they'll break their body down first and then their, their mouth will come back to you. So that's something that we believe in too, you know. So just don't go to always a bigger bridle, bigger bridle. Try to get your horse a little more submissive in the in the in the body. And when you say that, I, I, I love this topic. So when you get them submissive in the body, are you riding them in a in a snaffle and then just yes, kind of trotting yeah, them around yeah, doing yeah, circles? You can do that. that? And yeah, you can do that. You can get your horse in a snaffle bit. You can go back to a snaffle mm-hmm. and get them to come back and get them to break in the pole and get to where you can, you know, tip their nose in and do smaller circles and move him off your legs. Mm-hmm. You know, and but but getting him tired, riding him. Riding. You know, you can't go out there when your horse has been eating alfalfa hay for three or four days in a row and eating mm-hmm. omeline, mm-hmm. you know, and get on him and go, wow, I'm going to train him today. Yeah. It doesn't work. You yeah. know, you got you got to be on them all the time and, and get them to where they are submissive. Do your horses ever do any day work? Do they get out on the ranch? I, I don't like riding a horse outside just because the, the terrain is so bad. Okay. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like cowboy stuff to where you're going 100 miles an hour. Oh, geez, he runs through a squirrel hole. Well, yeah. Now yeah, he's done. Yeah, yeah. yeah, now he's done. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't do that. You mm-hmm. know, at the arena, when we rope, on, when Blueberry ropes in the arena, when I ride him at, and practice, there's not a hoof print in the arena. My friend Tom Roberts, you know, he's a racetrack guy. He's won 3,000 races. He's a He's the, the, the best horseman I know as far as health and wellness goes. And he said, when that horse, when those good horses go at the racetrack, that's right after the drag. There's not a hoof print in the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And we try to do the same thing with this horse. Gotcha. And we drag arena a lot. We're liable to drag arena eight times a day, five times a day, six times a day. Mm-hmm. We drag it. I'll rope a set of steers and drag the arena. Rope a set and drag the arena. And drag it flat. It's I'm a freak. It. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm a freak about my ground. Mm-hmm. I really am. What kind of ground is in your it's, arena? It's sand, but it's not deep sand. It's got a little bit of dirt in it to where it's got a little bit of cushion, but it's not hard. You know, they say you'll you'll hurt more horses in a plowed field than you will running them down the road. So we try to keep the arena fairly firm. Gotcha. And so what kind of offerings do you guys have now at your ranch, and where is it? It's in Stephenville, Texas. We teach people how to rope. We teach any kind of any kind of level of roper. We take people that have never roped before to people that are that are advanced ropers. And uh, uh, it, it's, it's more of a, you know, we only take five and six people at a time, sometimes two or three people. But we really try to gear it to what you need 
you know, when you go to a big open school, there's 24 people there. You know, it's it's tough because, and, and I understand why people, because when I take a group golf lesson, I would love to spend one-on-one time with Lee Trevino, but I can't afford uh-huh. Lee, so I have to go to a group lesson. Yeah. Well, we try to kind of gear our thing at this, at Stephenville to more of a, a higher end, a more private thing to where, uh-huh. you know, if, you, if you're a five or six guy, then we got some steers that run pretty hard. If you're a guy that's terrified or a girl that's, you know, don't hardly ride very well, we got some steers that are just trot for you. That's awesome, Walt. Yeah. Thank you so much for fitting me in before Slack started. Okay, good, no problem. (laughs) I appreciate it. Glad to do it. Thank you. You bet. I hope y'all got something out of this interview. I know I sure did. Again, remember to thank Partrade for their support of Walt Woodard and this podcast. I want to thank MetaLab and Walt Woodard again for bringing you this episode. Uh, Make sure you check out the Walt Woodard Ropers Collection by MetaLab at www.partrade.com and thank them for bringing you this episode.